1: Welcome listeners to the camera podcast, pubs, pints, people, where we chat about beer, cider, pubs and much, much more. My name is Ant Fiorello, and once again we've mixed a line up a little bit this week. Matt was away last week, he is back, the Bundy is back with what I hope has been a lovely time away.
2: It has indeed, I was up in the lakes, uh, so I was sampling some lovely local ales, I'm going to be talking a lot about those last orders as a treat this week, (laughs) I could have a 20 ales I could talk about, (laughs) my my dad had saved it up for me. You, You forget how lovely it is to just be in a different place, but I'm very glad to be back for a great little podcast this week and it's great to speak to you again.
1: Well, thank you very much, sir. It's wonderful to have you back and it's great to hear that you had a lovely time away. I'm looking forward to going and seeing some family myself very soon. Uh, Now, this time, Katie is taking advantage of getting some time away. So instead, we're joined by our regular correspondent and interviewer extraordinaire, Adam Taylor's only come and join the podcast for the week, folks.
3: Hello and thank you for having me and thank you for that lovely introduction.
1: I tell you what, Adam, we've heard you ask questions from our
2: guests lots of times, interrogating them as you do. (laughs) So I reckon we're going to turn the mic on you. So go on, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved volunteering for Camera.
3: Well, I work for a large pub company. My main involvement through Camera has been through pubs. I've judged a couple of Manchester beer festivals and it's all about for me. It's every pub I go into. Every pub I work in, I try and make sure it has a good beer selection and quality.
1: I've got to ask you a big question here because you get the privilege of asking all of your guests in your interviews. Adam Taylor, what is your Desert
3: Island beer? I'll have to pick a beer that Matt, I think you'll be very familiar with. And it's Hawkshead, Winnemir Pale.
2: Yes, loving it. The Cumbrian connection.
3: That that, That is a great choice. I'll come along on your island too. I was a bit worried that it would be like a bit of a pedestrian choice, but I just love it. A lot of the pubs I work in, I pick it as a as a house beer. It's just such a easy drinking but flavourful beer. It's absolutely brilliant.
2: That is an excellent choice. I'm very pleased with that. Now, this might be a bit of an experimental brew of host, but. We're bubbling along nicely, and boom, boom, boom. That is exactly what this week's podcast is about. Oh, Woohoo! Very good. I tell you what, I've, I've brought the smooth segues back all the way <laughs> from Cumbria. We are talking about experimental brewing this week, experimental beers, and we've got two great interviews all about
1: it. We absolutely have. Now, if you remember last week, we heard how Runaway Brewery had been creating some weird and very wonderful concoctions with things like tomatoes and rice. Now, this week, we're going to hear from Daniela at Aura Brewery about how they're bringing new flavours into beer, including drawing on their Italian roots with balsamic vinegar. Ooh, interesting. And um, We're also going to be herding, uh, herding, hearing, rather, from Andy Le Mans. Le Man? Lemon? Bouquet? Bucket? Hey, he's from Timmy Taylor and tells us the whole story. And I found it really surprising about how radical their famous landlord was back when it was created. Uh, so we can see how experimental brands of today may
3: become traditional brews of tomorrow. And traditional and experimental brewing, it splits a lot of people, and where do you better stand on this?
2: Well, it's the big debate, isn't it? You know, it's raging in whenever, whenever camera members meet up. Everybody's got a different preference on, haven't they? I feel like you're turning your bright light of interrogation on me right now. <laughs> it's, uh, I would say that the joy of real ale and cider in this country is that you just you don't have to choose. You can have the best of both. I'd have to say, when it comes to cider and perry, I'm very much a traditionalist. Uh, I like the old-style apples, the old-style techniques, the old the old scrumpies when it comes to cider. that's I grow the traditional apples myself. But when it comes to ale, well, look, I love a mild love of traditional bitter, but I do get seduced a lot more by the new concoctions that the fantastic kind of experimental breweries out there And I think it opens your eyes to all that ale can be. So I'd say I'm I'm more of an experimentalist on the ale side. How about you, Ant? I
1: suppose at heart I am a traditionalist. I I like what I like and I like parting with cash. I'm a proper northerner. I I like parting with cash for something and it's going to taste good. But that said, of course, I too get drawn in by the fancy pump clips. And, you know, I love going to a pub who are open to allowing you to have a little bit of a try of stuff before you commit to having a full pint of it. And that does entice with them because I know I can try it, and, and at least then if it's something that I go for, I can drink it confidently. I do like the new stuff, but I, I think point we've made as well about some of these, what are experimental today could become traditional tomorrow is also a wonderful thing. And what about you, Adam? Experimental, traditionist, somewhere in the middle?
3: I kind of approach beer like I approach the music of David Bowie, to be honest with you. In my mind, I love the Berlin stuff, but I just really want to listen to Hunky Dory. So like, in my mind, I think I'm an experimentalist and I always buy these weird and wonderful beers and then they sit in my fridge because I just love Session Ale.
2: I mean, that's what this podcast is all about as well, celebrating all the different opinions about ale and everybody's different tastes and if you like what we do, then why don't you give us a, a small one-off donation? You, know, you can go into the supporters link in the show notes. All proceeds that you give go back to Canberra campaigning to support the pub and brewing industry during this lockdown transition period, and it would mean a lot to us. So go on, give us a
3: support. <laughs> also, don't forget we are on Twitter, at people the three Ps. And we'd love to hear some of your own opinions, especially if maybe you're a home brewer and you have made some weird experimental beers of your own. We've spoken about
1: homebrewing in a previous episode on the podcast, and actually those that were listening last week will remember that I put a shout-out for your beer cocktail recommendations. And we had one come in from Sarah Crawford, thanks, Sarah, and she suggested... A grapefruit beer Bellini cocktail. Now listen to this. It's made with a Williams Brewery Rubus grapefruit IPA as its base, and then that's got grapefruit juice in it in the glass rather, and it's topped with prosecco. So you've got a ratio here of three parts beer, one part juice, and two parts prosecco. So it's all garnished off with dry grapefruit and a sprig of rosemary. I mean, she even sent this wonderful photograph. So thank you very much, Sarah, and for you listening out there, do keep sending those through because. We love your recommendations
2: we've got to move on it's time for our first interview it's with andy leman from timothy taylor it was done by adam wasn't it so tell us about it
3: it was indeed and it was a really great chat he's been working at the brewery for a number of years and i think the listeners will really enjoy hearing what he has to say about the beer
0: learn and discover
4: Timothy Taylor founded the brewery in 1858, in fact, in a site that was in the centre of Keighley. However, uh, he moved five years later up to the Knoll Spring, which is our f- present site and has been ever since. So he started it all off, followed by his sons, and it's still family-owned All the shares are owned by descendants of Timothy Taylor and one other family who came in in the 1950s, the Horsefall family, to help out when times were hard. If you go back to the 60s and before, there were various offers to take the brewery over from other larger companies. But fortunately for us, the family resisted that, and so we remain here today brewing our beers as we always have done some of the beers we brew have been brewed here for a long long time landlord is actually a relatively newcomer the beer was first brewed in 1952 then it was quite a unusual beer for its time because it was a very pale beer but very hoppy beer in some ways the um, grandfather or godfather if you like of what was to happen later so it's all pale ale malt made from Golden Promise barley. The hops we use are Goldings, Whitbread Golding variety, Fuggles, and some Styrian Goldings, or properly called these days Savinsky Goldings. So you've got the sort of traditional English blend of Fuggles and Goldings, with a uh, twist of uh, the Styrians, which give it a, a bit more citrus citrus kick we put those a lot of those steering go into the hop back rather than being boiled and this fortunately with our water it does extract a lot of the aromatic qualities of the hops into the beer and it, it does make a tremendous difference to the beer
3: why do you think landlords still such a popular beer to this day
4: I think it's because of the balance of the beer, and I, I do think balance is all important generally with beers Although it has quite a hoppy character to it, uh, it also has a juicy malty base uh, from the Golden Promise Pale Ale Malt. And this balance really is what makes it so drinkable. And I think what has made it so popular, I think in the earlier days when it was still growing as a brand because it actually started off as a bottled beer and only became a, a draft beer in the late 60s and through the 70s, and then in a very small way. It was a very small part of our production. It did win many awards in the 70s and early 80s when it was just starting to grow as a brand. And it stood out from the crowd in in competitions because it was so hoppy. You wouldn't believe it these days, but when Michael Jackson, beer writer, not the soul singer, came around the brewery, he said, people often ask me to describe landlord and i describe it as liquid hops so it was it was a very hoppy beer for its time and i think the balance is what has made it uh, remain as a a favorite with people this has been our success and i remember my predecessor peter owls i suppose my brewing guru because he taught me everything i know and his predecessor alan hay who i worked with for just show about eight or nine years before he retired. He always said, um, somebody asked him once, what is it that you do differently that makes landlord taste so much different or better than other beers? And he said, well, we haven't done anything different. What we've done is we've stuck to doing it the way it was always done before. Everybody else has changed the way they brew beer, and we've stayed the same. And I think that is true so that that's the tradition is it. it may sound a bit boring but we don't change anything the recipes the same same ingredients you know nowadays landlord is over 80% of our production so we do brew the beer most days it's the same beer we brew every day but but it's that's how you keep consistency and, the, and you're always making sure the quality is top quality recently we have branched out from that a bit and done some different style beers some existing beer styles from times in the past like porter, we do which is proven very popular it's 4.8 percent lovely porter but we've also done a, an ipa an american style ipa called cook lane named after the virtual brewery in the center of keithley we've done a session ipa our most recent one called Hopical Storm at 4%. And in both those two beers, we've used some very modern hop varieties. So we've, in the cook lane, there's there's Cascade, Chinook, and Minstrel. But all these hops, Cascade, Chinook, Ernest, Minstrel, Jester, they're all UK grown. So they're all grown in the South of England. In order, we feel that it's worth supporting our hop growers As much as possible we need them to carry on growing fumbles and goldings but if there's a market for them to do the newer hop varieties i think that's what where we should be supporting them
3: do you think you might expand further into that kind of more craft orientated market
4: i think we'll always be a traditional brewery and it's very nice to bring out some new beers and let's face it a lot of the sort of younger audience for cast beer or ales in general do like these modern styles of beer so we hope that we're we're attracting newer people to our beer but I think so yeah I think we'll be we'll, we'll be continued to be known as a traditional brewery but hopefully we get respect for that and we'd like people to try our other beers as well. And how has this current pandemic affected the brewery Yes, uh, I think we were fortunate and possibly more than a lot of uh, smaller breweries that we had a a big uh, volume of bottled beer that we sell in the off trade, uh, mainly in the supermarkets. It was only about 18 percent of our volume. So obviously we have lost. 82% eighty two percent if you like of which was our cask volume, however that's grown during the pandemic so it's actually we've been selling you know fifty to seventy percent more bottles than we did before, so that's been a big help we've got twenty six fermenters and some sometimes there's only been three of them full, you know, so it's been rather ghostly going into some of our fermenting rooms where they're just completely empty and quiet it's quite weird but assuming that things get back to some kind of normality we're looking forward and i'm looking forward so much to being able to go into the pub and order a pint of landlord it's just it just seems unbelievable that i haven't done that for three months
3: A lot of people have mentioned Timothy Taylor in our Desert Island beer section, so I'm sure people will be interested to know what yours is, Andy.
4: Oh, well, there you go. Of course, you know, I'd say Landlord because that's what I drink most of in normal life. However, if I had one other beer that I could drink on a Desert Island, it would be Harvey's Sussex Best Bitter because I think they are – One of the few brews that do manage to achieve that beautiful balance of uh, sweet malt and the delicacy of English hops in their beers. I'd have to have have, uh, some bottles of their Imperial Stout as well. So um, that would be it.
0: Learn and discover.
2: Oh, Adam, another classic interview for your show real there. I love that. And it's amazing he says that when Landlord, he describes it as a newcomer for the brewery, but saying then, it was first brewed in 1952.
3: It's crazy to think that now it's considered a, a classic of his type. and At the time, it was way ahead of its time.
1: It sounds as though Landlord really was the forerunner for what many now consider a traditional beer style. What was once the new kid on the block is rooted in tradition now.
3: There's a lot of beers that I love myself. Ten years ago, you wouldn't see a double dry hopped IPA about, but now that's seen as quite an accepted normal style. So I wonder what it's going to be like in, a, in another 70 years or so, if we're still here.
2: <laughs> I love the description that Andy gives of it as liquid hops. I mean, that's lovely. It's a little bit partridge, isn't it? That's liquid hot. (laughs) Uh, But it's it's great. I'm going to use that in every review. To think that it was just a tiny part of what they did, but just became so popular, and now it's 80% of the beer that they make. I like the fact that you snuck in an extra Desert Island beer question there to Andy as well, Adam. That was very very sneaky. I like that.
3: Well, yes. And just throwing forward a little teaser to a future episode, I've done another interview with another guest who's also picked it, so... You'll have to wait and find out who that is.
1: Oh, I like the mm. teaser. <laughs> right,
2: well, I tell you what, this is usually the point that we have a recipe from Sue, isn't it?
1: Wasn't she with you last week? You've not left her in Cumbria, have you?
2: <laughs> oh, God, you know what? I, I knew it we let, left the kids high chair and Sue <laughs> oh, that that roof rack has got to be tightened <laughs> I'm sorry about that Sue I hope you make it next week for some for some recipes I have to make do then with her beer cookbook she's got beer recipes for starters soups fish you name it hot and cold puddings it is the bible for beer cooking I would say oh, and, I and like you've that. got to listen to last week's podcast as well if you want to hear more about cooking with beer it's a real treat
1: indeed so listen this week We've thumbed through the book and we thought we'd share one of her beer cocktail recipes following our little chat last
3: week. She tells us that she's against mixing anything with beer but admits that beer cocktails are not new. The earliest known was a 12th century recipe for a in which ale was heated with sugar or honey and saffron to provide a warm drink for travellers cold from a coach ride. Mm. 12th
2: century. She does draw the classics back. It sounds like a kind of a mulled beer. Yeah. It, kind of, it sounds kind mm. of Christmassy. I think it would warm your cockles. She adds also there was another hot drink that was very popular in the 16th century which was made with eggs, milk, and ale. Ooh. Oh, sounds a bit curdle. Yeah. Never mind a caudal, that's a curdle. I think. Oh. That, sounds, <laughs> that sounds awful. That sounds like a dirty pint from student days. Oh, so my sure goodness gracious
1: all. me. Not Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one, Matt. Now, she does continue to tell us, one drink I do love is a black velvet. Now, listen to this. It's equal amounts of Guinness and champagne. Oh, Yeah. A delicious classic, that one. And other oh, stout yeah. drinks include Black Russians of Guinness with vodka, a Blacksmith of Guinness with barley wine, and a Red Witch of Guinness with Pernod, cider and black blackcurrant. I mean, the last one sounds truly vile.
3: I have to say, I've never dabbled with a uh, cider and black or anything like that. But I have made a concoction which might get my camera membership taken away. <laughs> which is... In the days when I used to work in, in the pub and be a little bit more experimental, let's say, we used to sell Old Rosie, which is a very famous cider, and I don't know if you both have heard of the Zubrovka Vodka. No. Yeah. It's like almost cinnamony, so when you mix it with apple juice, you get a a cocktail that's akin to an apple crumble, and when you mix it with a strong cider, you get a very bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's that
2: sounds delightful though i'd say it'd be great I, I want everybody to tweet us in at pubs Pints, people with their favorite concoction we've got to go on to our next interview haven't we and next up we've got harry davies who's our correspondent from sheffield once again and he took on this next interview and it's with daniel from aura brewery desert island beer
5: I'm here with Dan from Aura Brewery, based in Tottenham, and he's uh, kindly come here today to speak to us about some of the beers he's been working on, especially the uh, experimental ones. Tell us a bit
6: about Aura Brewery. Sure. So, uh, long story short, it was back in 2006 basically in the year when italy won the world cup <laughs> <laughs> that's when uh, you know following the emotion of of the of that achievement we <laughs> we we bought a small home kit. i'm from Modena, which is basically just half an hour from bologna yep. city of uh, ferrari and balsamic vinegar uh, you might have heard of them uh <laughs> so it really we started as you know classic brewery just just you know meeting my friends in, in the garage uh, in the morning on a Saturday, just, just mashing in with friends. Um, we've been kind of focusing on pretty much lager and uh, German styles um, just to start it easy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with step mash and all of that. <laughs> and then really, that's how we started. So a group of three friends, friends since Sever. And then, yeah, moved to London because uh, I was doing something else at that point five years ago. And then, yeah, it was at that point there we said, you know those recipes that we used to make 10 years ago? Well, why don't start to make it again in uh, in Bermondsey? Uh, so that's how we kind of started a little bit more professionally at uh, UBrew, um, just you know, working hard to fine tune some of our recipes. And then, yeah, in uh, beginning of 2017, we said, well, I mean, we're happy with the beer, so why not uh, putting the brand out there and selling to pubs and restaurants? So that's really how we started.
5: Did you think it was a big change, the, the brewing scene in London compared to like, in Italy? Or-
6: I mean, I must, I must admit, for me, I, I used to love beer when I was in Italy, but kind of coming here, it was like a baby in a candy shop. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> in Italy, in my town as well, which is not Rome and Milan, you would have access to maybe two or three stream breweries like Sierra Nevada, you know, Brooklyn Lager maybe, but that was just about it. And coming to London, 2016, where, you know, you had, how many breweries, Um, 18 maybe at that point. 2017, when I went to um, the Pixar festival in in Hackney, organized by camera, and, uh, you know, going to one of those events where you have old school breweries, um, trying to make like Brett Saison, and like new breweries making like old school bitters and red ale, that kind of cross fusion between old and young and old people there drinking together with young people, that's just something that in Italy just was wasn't there for historical reasons. So yeah, I really I really started to love beer in the, in the UK yeah. since then.
5: Well, I was, I was looking at some of your more experimental beers and maybe your whole range. I, I was looking at um, balsamic vinegar and vanilla. <laughs> My mouth is kind of watering here a little bit. Make so, me jealous.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so, as Italian, of course, you know, we, we, we're we foodie. You know, we love food. At the same time, coming to a country where there is such an amazing tradition with, uh, with some pails, we felt that, you know, we couldn't really start by kind of making beers. that breweries have been kind of beautifully for hundreds of years in this country, so we couldn't really focus on that. So we started to say, well, I mean, we're really proud of some of our products and some of our ingredients back home. Let's try to experiment a bit more using that and following a little bit the, the kind of gastronomic route. Uh, so we start the, all these kind of experimental projects with uh, the balsamic, uh, which was really the first um, baby for us. You know, as I said, I come from a place where balsamic vinegar is from, so I've always wanted to make something with it. And basically, we said, let's brew a stout um, that has kind of a really nice, dark grain bill uh, with a bit of lactose, kind of pull a little bit of sugar up Mm. and the body, and then put some balsamic vinegar in packaging, which sounds totally disgusting, I know. (laughs) But uh, the idea there was to replicate what my grandma used to make when I was a kid, basically, which is Mm. basically a a vanilla ice cream with a, a drizzle of balsamic vinegar on top. So that kind of mix between sweet sour and bitter in one beer
5: you you say Um, disgusting but i can taste it and really feel it working well it's good to say
6: that you say that because a lot of people can't really (laughs) see (laughs) the point but no but to be honest that beer was a bit of an experiment but you know that's the more mention it in 2018 as one of the five most experimental innovative beer in 2018 so it really helped us a lot to grow and focus our project on on this experimentation which is what kind of at the center of our DNA at the minute. If
5: that's the, the fringe, what, what do you think is the, what's the baby beer? What's the bestseller, the, you know, your, your classic, would you say?
6: Well, the Limoncello IPA is probably my bestseller at the minute. Again, building on my love for some, you know, kind of Italian products, lemons from Sorrento. A, Sorrento is a, is a tiny place in the coast near Naples where all the kind of lemon production in Italy is, and you you must see those lemons. They're massive, really, really big. And the good thing is that as soon as you cut the peel, there is a lot of nice tart aroma that comes through. The idea was to basically try to replicate the limoncello with a beer. So, mashing with really extra pale molds, get that kind of yellow color, initially a bit of lactose that then we, we took out and replaced with some maltodextrin to have a really soft mouthfeel. And then a lot of lemon uh, from Sorrento pure test and peel, no kind of extract or no uh, pure in fermentation. So again, like a really nice and hearty IPA for summer, which is kind of our best seller at the minute.
5: Do you think we're going to see more food pairing and more of a wine approach to beer? Because I've noticed when I'm in continental Europe, the idea of pairing a beer with food sometimes raises eyebrows. You know, you think we're going to see it more?
6: I don't know. I mean, I'm really I'm really a big fan of this, but I'm also conscious that the drinking culture in Europe is slightly different. Well, in Europe, in Southern Europe, so Spain and Italy, it's slightly different because you typically you would drink when, when you eat. So by nature, you know, you, you kind of more tend to kind of associate, uh, drinks with, uh, with specific food. Whereas in this country, my experience is that it doesn't necessarily happen. Sometimes you just go <laughs> to the pub, you know, with colleagues or friends and, uh, you know, there's no food option really on the menu. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think I, I, I definitely see it coming, but I also. See that there is still a lot to do. I think, especially on the restaurant side. How many times you go to a really well well awarded restaurant? It could be a Michelin star restaurant. It could be a really really good restaurant with amazing food selection, amazing amazing wine list. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to beer. Yeah. It's just Peroni Moretti or the classic one, right? So there's a lot of more more things to do in that.
5: Running around with these experimental beers. Has there been some kind of mad experiment, the equivalent of like an explosion? Has any has there been anything gone wrong? Has there been any kind of horrific anecdotes?
6: <laughs> yeah, many times. I mean, um <laughs> like like last year, my brewer wanted to make beer in honor of Brussels with uh, basically chocolate, and he put some mussels in the oh. in the um, in the boil, um, which yeah was quite an interesting choice. I guess it was it was trying to replicate the kind of oyster stout route, but the taste wasn't that amazing. I must say? <laughs>
5: I'm no expert when it says oyster stout. In my mind, they throw mussels into a big pan and beer and stir it around. I'm guessing that's not the
6: case. Well, yeah, I don't know exactly what what they do, but I think, yeah, they usually pour some mussels, sanitised mussels in, uh, in fermentation or in the boil, maybe in the boil, actually, uh, to get a kind of salty flavour into into the beer.
5: Um, I'm looking here at some, some of the artwork, this co- collaboration with Abidale here, the, the blackcurrant sorbet. How important do you think your artwork is.
6: I think it's really important and you know, in, in these, these days it's, uh, you know, with the cans kind of taking over uh, from bottles, you know, and people maybe, especially in quarantine, right, without the pubs, mm, yeah. uh, in, in lockdowns, without the pubs, you know, um, really the, going on a website, um, you know, without being able to try stuff, but just just the label was the main thing for our customers. So you know, it, it is really important. And our approach to this is, uh, it doesn't just need to be a nice label, there needs to be a story behind, behind uh, each label. So, you know, the new series that we recently launched is a, is a tribute to one of the most iconic Italian books from the 14th century called The Divina Commedia, um, which is basically a journey through um, inferno, through hell. Um, so basically every label and every beer kind of recalls one of the guardian of each circle of, of hell.
5: <laughs> um, so, finally then, the classic question, the desert island beer, what, what, what's it going to be?
6: If it wasn't a desert island, it was like 30 degrees like today, I would probably go for um, something really, really hoppy, to be honest. <laughs> um, so something like, you know, I really like American hoppy stuff like Harder Half or like Barrier or KCBC. Um, in 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 the UK, I'm a big fan of Northern Monk. So I had one of the one of the Strata IPA I think a few weeks ago, which I like it so much that I ordered a case directly from the brewery. So yeah, probably that Desert Island Beer.
3: I'm absolutely loving the creativity breweries come up with these days, and it's it's a massive leap to start a commercial brewery on the back of such experimentation. It's amazing that these three guys just found such a a bond over beer, and then brought that over to London.
2: I like the fact they've got a good way to remember when they first set up as well. You know, you say in the year that Italy won the World Cup. You know, that is... <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that as an English football fan unless you've got a very established brewery. <laughs> no, mm, yeah, there's not many be, still going. Yeah, you know, we'll be waiting a long time, I think, uh, for anybody to say that. But I do love the fact that Daniel talks about... He calls the London beer scene, he was like being a baby in a candy shop. I mean, that's fantastic, I mean, isn't it? You, just, you forget how lucky we are you know and how different the drinking culture can be when you compare Britain and the variety that we have compared to other parts of Europe you know we're so lucky to have it I think it's important obviously that we protect cultural traditions in in brewing but it's also amazing how good fusions can be and bringing new ideas and new flavours from this wonderful melting pot that we have in Britain can bring different ideas and bring that soul that flavour of Italian food and combining it with the British beer drinking scene creates something really amazing.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that they thought to start experimenting with balsamic vinegar. I mean, that's just absolutely wonderful, really. And it's clear that the passion of the flavours from home, as well as replicating food from his, his grandma or nonna used to make, has, has a real important impact on their success. Though I have to admit, I've never thought to pair vanilla ice cream with balsamic before.
2: You know, I might give it a try, though. You know, I think I'm 116th Italian.
1: Um, so, OK. <laughs> so,
2: you know, maybe just uh, just one
1: sixteenth of little uh, bit. the
2: balsamic <laughs> in my beer is just enough. I, I remember Katie mentioned their Limoncello beer in Last Orders a few weeks back. She's always got all the experimental ones, hasn't she, Katie? Oh, definitely. You know, mm. And she really loved it. I think they're right, you know, about gastronomy, you know, and needing to find a way to pair beer inside a better with food. You know, it's all very well when you go to, a, you know, a fancy restaurant with lots of different foods in there and the wine list can be as long as your arm and pairing up loads of different combinations lots of recommendations but then you find that the beer wise there's only just two lagers on the menu you know i think that really holds back food pairing and an opportunity for beer in a lot of places
3: and i think you are starting to see places do this a, a little bit more especially in america the the beer and food pairing is much more common do you know
1: what though going back to the interview i'm not quite sure on the chocolate and mussels mix or something There's a bit of a line there for me but i love that daniel also mentions the importance of the beer label, having a story as well, and, and anyone who understands anything about business knows how important presentation is when it comes to marketing. Matt, you know that all too well yourself i 've been working in that sector and working in, in that sector. And it's, it's really important with the beers as well that you can't give it a taste beforehand. You, you've got to be able to do that.
2: You taste first with your eyes, don't you? That's the thing. You know, yeah. a really impactful, beautifully done label and you should say like a, a pump clip can draw customers in and it's as important as the taste, really. It's the first thing that you've got to get people to come and give you a try.
1: Oh, definitely. The story behind the label is just a, another brilliant element too. I mean, Adam, you interviewed Robinson's Brewery. Can you get a finer pump clip than Trooper, for example? And again, it just shows yeah, the passion. Actually- iconic. Yeah, exactly. The passion behind the creation, um, I think it, it's just really important.
2: I think it's time for this week's Archive Dive, isn't it? Oh yeah. Is that, a new, is that the phrase that we're giving it now? That's jingle dive. worthy.
1: Archive <laughs> Dive
2: with me, Matt um, Well, we're looking back at its January 1984 edition of What's Brewing we're looking at this week, and it's an article announcing the da big news that John Smith's Was starting to brew real ale again. Wow. (laughs) I I didn't notice. I mean, I'd say you would kind of maybe assume that they maybe should have been doing that throughout but apparently <laughs> canberra at the time had been campaigning for john smiths to resume production of cast conditioned beer so this was a big victory for oh, our yeah, guys wasn't it
3: definitely and the yorkshire company the only remaining brewery left in the country which still refused to supply its pub with real ale. can you imagine it in in this day and age oh
1: no absolutely not no way it shows
3: how far cameras come as
1: well i think It certainly does. John Smith was was Courage's uh, northern arm and they had this monopoly of 500 pubs in the North and the Midlands, which, you know, until then wouldn't have had access to real ale in the pubs because they'd only been allowed to see beers from that brewery. So if they weren't selling real ale, there there wasn't any guest beers right to get in them pubs.
2: That is a a terrible situation, you know, for the drinkers of that area to be. I mean, we've come back to it a few times. It's something I didn't know about before we started doing the podcast, this monopoly system where, as as you quite rightly say, they they controlled the beers that... That appear there, so if they don't have a real ale, you don't get a real ale. I'm very glad that that camera came to the rescue of people in the John Smiths region, and apparently they said that the beer would be brewed to exactly the same recipes as when they stopped making cask conditioned ales in 1976. 1976. Wow! So it's a long time people were about real ale. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, this is to, down to 80, 76 to 84. Wow.
1: Exactly. Um, you, you might remember that we mentioned a few of those funeral protests before, and this time. It happened following Leeds camera leading a funeral march of 500 mourners around the town, complete with coffin attacking John Smith's dead beer policy.
3: That is a bold move, I'm going to say.
1: <laughs> it is. It's, it's pretty out there, isn't it?
2: It's creative, but it was great to hear that there was a success. And if anybody was part of those marches, give us a picture of you walking along, you know, mourning the the death of beer in Leeds. Uh, yeah. Get in touch with us at Pubspaints people.
1: Wonderful. And I think with that, let's ding the bell for Last Orders. Last
2: Orders. Right then, chaps, so have you got any experimental beers or ciders that we've been trying this week, or has it been traditional for us all?
1: Well, I'm going to go straight in here with saying it is traditional, because I knew we had Timmy Taylor's on the podcast this week, so of course my beer of the week It's Timothy Taylor's Landlord. I've been drinking Mm. it in anticipation. And I think what I love about uh, having learned on this podcast episode is how actually that was once experimental but is now rooted in tradition. And I can see why everybody chooses it on our desert island beer. It is a very, very wonderful thing to drink, isn't it? Uh, What about you, Adam? What's been in your glass this week?
3: Well, I knew I was coming on this podcast, so I was hoping that I'd have a nice cask ale to talk about. And I went into a pub, which I won't name, and had a pint and it was... Absolutely terrible! Oh no! So, <laughs> so I, I moved to to a different pub, which I will name. Which is uh, it's called Cask in Manchester. And first beer I had in there was uh, Track Sonoma, which is I don't know if you two have heard of it, but it's getting a bit of a reputation of being a bit of a modern classic around these parts. It's three point eight percent, very hoppy, very delicious.
1: Nice. And what about you, Mr. Bundy? Now come on, Cumbrian classics all the way, surely. Mm.
2: It is. I very much enjoyed a local tipple when I was up there. Uh, Lots of them, in, in fact, lots of different ones. But I've got to choose Bluebird Bitter. From Coniston Brewery, a former champion mm. beer of Britain. We're very proud of that around Cumbrian parts. I'm disappointed to do that we're three for three, not going for any experimental ales. I think we need Katie back for her wild and <laughs> wonderful choices. <laughs> I don't when anybody tweets in saying that beer was really great, it's always Katie's choice, which I think shows she is a
1: she is a lady of taste, isn't she? Now, Katie is going to be back with us next week, and we'll have the old gang back together. Of course, what we want to do now is say a massive thank you to Adam for joining us this week. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and thank you for all of these wonderful interviews that you've been doing and i'm sure we will continue to do
3: thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure and getting to speak to some of the people that i get to speak to for this podcast is an absolute joy
1: and we enjoy listening to them my friend now listen we're going to be back learning about vegetarian and vegan beers next week and sitting down with mark dredge and brass castle brewery
2: I've got to finish with a quote this week, but uh, I thought the one that I left last week was delivered beautifully by Stella. Textbook quoting from last time. She was fantastic on the show, wasn't she? She was wonderful. Um, Actually, the the quote this week, it wasn't found by me. It was actually found by one of our fantastic volunteers, uh, Rebecca Fennelly. She does an incredible job doing loads of research for the show and pulling together... A lot of the segments that we talk about. So I just want to give her a really big thank you for helping out. And I say traditionally my quotes are about beer, but this one is about the spirit of experimenting itself, uh, which I think is appropriate for a lot of the brews that we've been talking about. It's from Albert Einstein, and it goes The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results.
1: Oh, I love that one. Thank you very much. And here's to another episode, folks. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
0: How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free, courtesy of our pals at Beer52, by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people, that's the numbers 5, 2 in the 52, and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free, so that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent.
2: So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia, and Austria, among others.
0: And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light only case. Also included is the ever insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.